Welcome to the NACA American Dream Program. Each week, we'll talk about how NACA is revolutionizing mortgage lending with the best mortgage in America. It's no down payment, no closing cost or fees, no PMI, no consideration of your credit score. And guess what? It's at a below market fixed rate. NACA is just relentless. This is the NACA way. Hey, hey, welcome back for another episode of NACA's American Dream Program. Listen, when NACA is doing stuff, I mean, when you hear what we're doing and NACA is doing for the community, you're just going to be excited to be a part of all that we're doing. But listen, if you have any questions, please call 833-771-0500. Again, that number is 833-771-0500. And Jeanette, again, we have an well, he's not a guest. I, I'm not even going to introduce him as a guest. He's part of the he's part of the radio. But we have Eric Exum here today, and he's going to be talking about how to get qualified. Everybody out there, we know you all want to get qualified. So hit somebody up, pass this information on, let them know that we are talking about how to get qualified with NACA. And that's usually the biggest problem that a lot of people are trying to traverse, get over, get through. And so we want to make sure that we're getting through. But, but first, before we get Eric all started with how to get qualified, Anjanette, what's going on over there in Texas? How's it oh, going? Oh, it is a beautiful day over here in Texas. It's a beautiful wow. day to be out here in the hood doing good. And you're right, Damien, he is not a guest. Eric Anson, <laughs> this is part of the fabric of NACA. This is one of the pillars at NACA, y'all. And I'm going to brag on Eric later because he, I'm not going to even allow him to toot his own horn because he's not going to do it justice like I will do it. But anyway. Not- it is a beautiful day to be out looking for that dream home, a first time home, downsizing, upsizing, whatever you're trying to do. And guess what? I've been checking this every single day. And today at a 30-year fixed interest rate of 4.125 and a 15-year fixed rate at 3.375, you still can't beat that with a stick. And it is still the best rate out there because only at NACA can you buy down your rate. And here is that we got the right person on the line to tell you how to do it. And I want to tell everybody, we've been hearing your, your cries. We've been hearing the calls. We've been getting all the information. How do I get qualified? How do I get through this process? I'm getting this condition, that condition, this is going on, that's going on. We got the subject matter expert. If he can't get it done, it can't be done. Eric Exum is here. And let me tell you something about Eric. Eric has been with the company so long that he can not only get you through the process, Eric can call our lender, our bank, and get you through the process. If there's a hiccup, something unique to your situation, he has been, Eric has literally been in every single department. He has managed in some form of management and leadership and guided and directed every single component in NACA. So when we bring him to the call, it is, yes, it's true. It is by popular demand, but it's the (laughs) best person to bring the knowledge to you to give you more of what you need to succeed through this program. And I got a little tidbit for you. New York City, 
Baltimore, Maryland, DC, Philly, Boston, you name it, we're coming to the city near you. We are gonna be in Queens, New York. And Eric can tell you a little bit more about how, how near and dear this is to him because he is a New Yorker. So we will be there June 23rd through the 27th. That's right, from Thursday, June 23rd, all the way through Monday, June 27th, we will be in Queens. So look us up at www.naca.com. For more details, click that register button. If you click that register button, it gets you access to not only into the event, but how to get closer to a counselor face-to-face. -face. That's for newcomers. If you already are a NACA member, guess what? you can still get face-to-face -face with your counselor. Go ahead on and use that new member portal that we're gonna talk about today to upload your documents and get closer to a counselor. Forget the wait. You don't have an appointment until the end of the year. You don't have an appointment until September. Skip all that. Come straight to this event and see a counselor. We're live and in full effect June 23rd through the 27th. So check us out and lock it down. 833-771-0500 is how you reach us. Eric! Welcome. Well, I appreciate Anginette, Damien, and I appreciate you guys having me on again. And thank you for the introduction. I'll try my best to share the about two decades of of information I've I've learned and, and helped figure out over the years. Um, wow. And and one thing to add on to about the interest rate you're talking about, and you're right, NACA has the lowest rate in the industry, but it, it's and everyone gets that same great rate. It's, it's you know where others would look at your loan to value, your income to debt ratios, um, your credit score, and give different people different interest rates. Everyone gets the same low starting interest rate at NACA, regardless of your circumstances at the time of your qualification and, and identifying a property. Very proud of that um, because basically, if we say you're ready for home ownership and ready for the payment, then you deserve the best possible terms in the industry, which we offer. Absolutely. And awesome. Eric, you know what? I did not realize two decades. I mean, honestly. Almost. <laughs> That is amazing. And NACA continues to look for additional talent. We're always hiring uh, for all of our departments to increase and enhance our talent and our knowledge base. So this is just, this is history in the making right here. We have a, a NACA historian right here on the call. But Eric, believe it or not, this is the show that gets them closer to a qualified status. And we we're already getting questions in. Uh, Damien, if you have nothing to add, we can get going. Well, definitely just to pinpoint, um, if you're planning on attending the, the New York event and you're coming from out of town, don't hang out first. Go get taken care of with NACA first. Uh, hang out later, but on the first part, go and have all your documentation. Make sure if you, you know that you also have access to your documents, whether on a zip file or a thumb drive or whatever, just in case something else is needed. But go and get qualified because everybody's going to be there. The underwriters, right. you know, you're going to do the workshop. So if you're new, you're going to do everything from A to Z. You're going to go through the workshop. You're going to go through the, you know, getting qualified. You're going to go through the purchase workshop. When you leave there, you ready to go start looking for a house with your agent. So make sure you do that on the front end before you hang out. In New York, you hear me? I don't want to see you hanging out in that casino. I want to see you do what you need to do because you got to come through the casino to get to us. But don't do the casino until after you get qualified. Then we'll go slot machine together. Okay? Exactly. That is an excellent point to to mention, Damien. And and you're right. Don't don't wait. If you can get through the process, everybody is going to definitely be there. 
Um, one other thing I want to mention, there's a lot of Juneteenth and Father's Day celebrations that are happening that weekend prior to NACA's arrival uh, for that event. So look for us because we're going to be hosting several, several festivals, community mm. events we will be participating. I'm heading down probably uh, about three or four days early because we have some booths at those events. So look for us. Look for the big NACA logo, guys. We're going to be there. Stop by and see us and help us out. Join, join us if you can. So we'll be there. Good point, Damien. Awesome. 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 All right, Internet, what questions you got for Eric? Well, in Facebook land, I'm going to throw up some hearts and some love out there for Jay. Jay is asking, Eric, can you purchase a lease to own home that you are already living in using NACA? Yeah, the short answer is yes. And it's one of my favorite purchases because one of the great things about a lease with the option to buy is you really get to know the property, the cost of uh, utilities in that property, and uh, you get a sense of the cost to maintain that property. So, you know, if you're very budget conscious, you, you get a better understanding. But one thing to be careful um, with a lease with option, if you're just signing the lease, some landlords will increase the rent, you know, say, you know, for easy math, that place leases for, uh, for $1,500 a month. They might charge you $1,700 a month, promising that the $200 a month after a year, that goes towards your principal reduction or earnest money. If you can, if you can negotiate that away, because you only want to pay rent as rent, and you save your money and make your down payment when the time comes. And of course, with NACA, down payment's not required. So you don't need to have that increased rent to have the lease with option. Okay. Awesome. That, that's good okay. to know. And this is going to be done on the front end of entering into a lease purchase, correct? Correct. Again, okay. you know, so, so again, I completely endorse, le you know, lease with option to buy, mm -hmm. but just be careful. Cause like I said, some landlords, if market rent is 1500, they'll charge you a bit more and tell you, Oh, don't worry. You'll get the money back when you buy it. But remember you might over that year or two realize that is not the right property for you. You know, there might be problems with the property, mm -hmm. problems with the neighborhood, whatever it is, and you decide not to buy. Now you lost the extra money you were putting towards rent because you never purchased. It's better exactly. to just save on your own because you might choose a different property. That could have been your savings. So guess what you need to do? Go get your NACA agent so they can help you with the lease purchase on the front front end. And now you have them helping you throughout the full process, not just waiting, but go ahead and get your NACA agent. They're always available everywhere in the country. Amen. Love that answer. Next, does NACA, now this question came from 702. Thank you for calling. Hearts out to you. That's 702, biggest. she's asking, uh, she or he is asking, it's a California question though. Does NACA have plans to update the purchase price limits? They are, they're kind of low for California prices. Uh, it's a great question. I get it a lot. No, right now we do not have plans because right now in Southern California, for a single family, our purchase price limit is $726,525. And let me be clear, this program is, has always been, and always will be for low moderate income people and per people purchasing in low moderate income communities. Frankly, a, a low-income person cannot afford to buy, you know, much more than a three-quarter of a million-dollar single-family property. We go up to almost 1.4 million on a four-family property. So again, to keep our focus about low-moderate-income people, we keep our maximum acquisition costs, you know, at a reasonable amount. And three-quarters of a million dollars is a lot of money to spend on a single-family property. 
It is. And, and it sure definitely is. consider multifamily, as he just said. But remember, the key to multifamily is it must be owner-occupied. So we're not going to be doing flipping and, and, and you know, doing that type of stuff. But maybe getting a multifamily might be more in line with what you're wanting. But don't don't knock it out. Just consider it um, and think about that. Yeah. And I don't want to be dismissive because I do. I absolutely understand prices are high everywhere right now, you know, yeah. particularly in areas like New York City, Southern yeah. California. You know, there are some markets that low moderate income people are just simply priced out of. That's when you really have to find those diamonds in the rough. That's when you have to find the property that needs a rehab. That's when you need to get grants involved and find grant properties. We're yes. doing it in yes. New York and, you know, um, and I, I'm working with a, a local organization is connected in New York right now. We do it all throughout the country where they actually, the city and the municipalities, they have properties that unfortunately they took because taxes weren't paid, but they connect with programs like NACA and low moderate income people. They have government, uh, they have restrictions and covenants that only allow them to be sold to owner-occupied people in many cases. Some like in Boston where they can only appreciate maybe 3% a year, which is great because those are cities who care about keeping affordable purchases within yeah. the city. So it's harder absolutely to buy a, a $700,000 house in Southern California, but that's where you got to put in the extra work. That's where, as Damien said, you get an in-house agent or a referral agent who really knows what they're doing and they'll connect you with those CD programs to get you those properties. Awesome. You heard it straight from here. I know you can't get it any better than that. And I love the idea about the grants. We always encourage you to use those, utilize those grants. The money is there and it's for you. So go ahead on and take advantage of those. Thank you for that, that question. Raquel, I am loving you. Give Raquel some hearts out there in Facebook land. I'm loving this question, Raquel, because she used the member portal. Raquel is saying, hi, all. I'm stuck. Please explain how to document payment shop. Should I highlight it on my bank statements and then upload it on, on the portal? Oh, that's one way to do it. Um, so the best way to document your payment shop, because you can do it in many different ways, right? So let me back up a little bit for any listeners who don't know what payment shock is. Payment shock, payment shock is the difference between your current housing payment and your desired housing payment. So for example, if you're paying $1,000 a month rent right now, but you feel like you're going to need $1,500 a month to make your purchase, your payment shock is $500 a month. To make sure you've gotten comfortable with with paying more than what you've been paying historically, that $1,000, we require you to demonstrate a savings pattern for a minimum of three to six months so that you feel what it feels like to not have that other $500. Because if you close on a house and your payment is $1,500, you're, you're not going to have the other $500. You, know, you were used to paying $1,000, now you're going to pay $1,500. So we want to get you comfortable and ready for that. And the way I like to explain it is like when I was a kid, my mom said, uh -uh, you're going to try the shoes on and walk around the store for a little while. Make sure they don't hurt your feet before I spend my money on them. That's what payment shock is. Try that payment on before you sign on the dotted line and you're obligated to make that higher payment. So that's what it is. Now, there's many different ways to document it. One is, say you have credit card debt. And you already have your minimum required funds in place. Say you already have $7,000 in the bank and that's what you're going to need. Um, you may decide, and it's a great choice, I want to kill my credit card debt be before I become a homeowner because I want to you know, free up my obligations out there. So you might pay an extra $500 per month towards your credit cards. Another person might just say, all right, I'm going to put $500 a month in my liquid savings account. 
Another person might say, I'm going to put $500 a month in a stock investment account because, you know, stocks are really low right now. Probably a good time to invest. You know, most people don't realize you don't pull money out when stocks go down. That's when you put them in, you know, when you buy them at a lower amount. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do it. But the best, the best way to document it for your counselor is just type it up. Type up on a cover letter that you put in with your file on top of your bank statements and explain, well, I've paid these debts off. I've paid these debts down. I'm putting this into 401k. I'm putting this into stock. I'm putting this into savings. Um, and, and walk your counselor and your reviewer, your mortgage specialist underwriter, walk them through exactly how you're preparing for the higher payment. I love that idea. I really love that. That's awesome. So, Raquel, I hope that was we were able to help you with answering your question. If not, you can always get back on Facebook and put something in the comment section. We'll get it, okay? Yep. Next, Denise. Denise is saying, how can I get my counselor to answer my email? Um, so there's several ways. Um, I am, I'm an aggressive person. Um, but I do realize that if you upset people, you can have a negative or adverse reaction. So I find that per A, persistency pays off. B, when you send communications, make sure you're very concise and clear in them so that they understand what you're asking. Um, also, make sure you're asking questions in emails. I think a lot of people send emails and their statements because you're, you're, you're intimating what you want, but you're not clear and don't ask specific questions. Um, so do all that to, you know, to make sure that you're making it easy for your counselor to understand what you need from them. Then if, the, if you're not getting responses within a reasonable amount of time, I'd say, you know, a couple of days, um, then call on member services directly. You can reach out to services at NACA.com or you can dial member services at 425-602-NACA. That's 405-602-6222. And ask for member services to do a warm transfer and connect you with your counselor. Ask them to look in the file, see if there's any narrative that indicates, you know, maybe that counselor is on vacation for the week, you know, a lot of vacations in summer right now. You know, just um, member services and awesome team at NACA who can yes. really help you connect with, with your they counselor. They are. They're good and they're readily available to answer all your questions. Damien, you had something to add? I have another suggestion that has been working for me. And uh, everybody just understanding the counselors are like, if you look at how many home buying workshops we get and how many clients they have, it's just unreal. So the schedule is typically 8.30 to 5. They have appointments at 9, 11, 2, and 4 with the hour lunch. What I've discovered is that between that 8.45 to 9 a.m. window before they get started, send them an email then or try to call them then before they get started with their day. Because once they get started, it may not be until later. So don't send an email tonight because it's going to get buried with everything else. And most people don't read emails from bottom to top. They read from top down. So send it about 8.45 to 9, and it's right there at the top for them to see it. So that's something else I've kind of found in trying to help my members reach out to them. All right. Thank you for that information. Hope we were able to help you, Denise. Uh, next question. Why am I constantly being told to save even after I have my minimum required funds in my account? And that came from 412, area code 412. It's, thank you. You know, it's a great question. And I'm and I know that this person is probably a first-time home buyer. And the answer is because life happens, right? 
If you don't have the ability to continue saving, then you won't have the ability to maintain a property. Now, even if you get NACA's low interest rate, buy down the interest rate and lock in your principal and interest, things happen over time. So insurance goes up, yes. doesn't go down. Taxes go up, they don't go down. Property taxes, repair costs are really high right now. And you know, even though you prep the house and get in there, you know, it's like Murphy's Law. You know, what can go wrong with a house will go wrong. Just like having a car, it could be a brand new one and something happened. It could be, you know, an older house and something happened. You have to demonstrate that you can maintain the savings pattern, not just tighten your belt for those three months. And then all of a sudden it loosens up and, and, and blows out. Right. You know, if you can't maintain it through closing, then you're going to struggle with maintaining that property. That's the reason for it. That's a good suggestion. I will also add from the real estate perspective, it allows the more money you have allows you to be more competitive because there are few, they're like, you know, 10 people looking at two houses. So in order to be competitive, you'll need that financial resource to be able to help you either buy the interest rate down, um, you know, to even uh, have more to fit in your um, repairs and all of that. So the more money you have puts you in a better position for negotiation from the real estate side. So keep saving. Definitely. That's all I, I, I say in workshops. Keep saving. Don't stop. No, that's a good point. If I can, can I add this also. Sure. And no. also always save the maximum amount that you can save. Right. Like exactly. we use the scenario of you want you think you want a fifteen hundred dollar payment from a thousand dollars. So you're saving five hundred. If you can save nine hundred a month, save the nine hundred a month. Because to Damien's point, maybe you won't find what you want for the five hundred dollar. And you might find that nine hundred was comfortable for you. You know, always try to figure it out. Now, don't just save and, and say, okay, I don't know how that's happening because that's not the way savings works. You really have to sit down, figure out your budget. You can only save more money by increasing income or decreasing expenses. Those are the only ways to do it or a combination of them. If you don't specifically know what happened to increase your savings, then you won't be able to sustain it. So look at your budget. If you If you know you made a decision to stop eating out, then that's where that money's coming from. Mm -hmm. To get your hair done every eight weeks instead of every four weeks or every two weeks, then you know where that money came from. That's very expensive. You know, you know, hair, nails, eating out. Um, you might cut cable. hundred bucks a month right there. Serious. You know, and go for Netflix or something like that. So be really deliberate about and understand what you changed because you got to make sure that you can maintain that change through home ownership, which is long-term. Right. I love that. Now, Eric, let me ask you a question uh, real quickly. So say they were uh, being, I guess, as Anjanette would say, devil's advocate. What if I'm working a full-time job, which I got qualified on, but I'm also working a part-time job? Can I use the part-time job to reduce my debt, to save money, the more money you keep saving? Is that permissible to, to, to do? So, so absolutely to, to reduce debt. So when you think about the part-time job, you have to think, are you going to sustain that part-time job through home ownership? Okay. Um, anyone who's bought a house, who's listening, realizes that when you buy a house, that consumes some of your time. You take care of that house different than when you rent, generally speaking. Okay. And you're putting sweat equity into your own house. You're spending a little more time you know, getting that house the way you want it. So it does take some time that you might be spending on a part-time job right now. If you have a history of having a, the extra part-time job in addition to the full-time and you plan on keeping it, then absolutely use it towards your savings pattern in addition to debt reduction. If, you're, if you added the part-time job just to become a homeowner, 
then really focus on using the extra money for debt reduction, mm -hmm. but not for savings pattern. Because like I said, you know, now you're outside the Thank store you. with those shoes and they're too tight. You know, you lost that extra income and it just doesn't, that payment doesn't fit anymore. Thank you I for love that. that. I love that that scenario and Damien was given that that scenario based on trying to make sure that they can find property and get them more into a bargaining position. But let me uh, play devil's advocate on the advocacy side of it. The one thing that I've noticed uh, on these past shows and Eric, you press upon people to save. We've had Ken and Clark on here and press upon people to save. But another reason why you want to save and continue to save is I sit on the advocacy side of it. And after you get your home, one thing I've noticed, and it happened this year, I've had a lot of members reach out to me to say they had no idea their property taxes was going to go up. They had no idea that when they were supposed to go to the poll to vote for Proposition 13, Proposition 13 actually meant that they were approving a reservoir blockage to be put in their neighborhood, which increased their taxes. And because mm. they voted on it, it raised their taxes up and in, implied that they should now get mandatory flood insurance. So because they never went to the polls and voted on it, it happened. And they are now on the receiving end of the increase. This is why I preach, look at the ballot. This is why I preach, go to the polls and vote. This is why I preach, ask what these propositions on these ballots mean, because it just took an entire just district's property tax up. And now all of those homeowners have to now go and get flood insurance that they didn't account for. So if you continue to save, you got that cushion and you will be able to do that and still maintain your home. So please, please, please say. <laughs> so I hope that answered your question. So move it on. That was my soapbox for two minutes, guys. The next question is, I'm, uh, I'm so unclear what I'm supposed to do what I'm supposed to be doing now that I've completed the workshop. So they've completed the home buyer workshop. Congratulations, you are a new member. They're asking what's next. Ah, it's a great question. Um, so next is take your NACA ID number, go to www.naca.com, get into your me member portal, and you're gonna basically do your own data entry and document upload. What that's going to do is that's going to free up the time. First of all, it's going to force you to think about the information that you're providing to obtain counseling and ultimately obtain a mortgage. Once you get all that in, now your counselor can really focus on working with you on how to qualify as opposed to the counselor spending all that time doing your data entry and your document upload. For example, if I do the information screen, I might spell your name wrong you know how to spell your name. So it's always best if a member puts in their own name, their own date of birth, their own employer, all that. Then, you know, in our system, we have a brand new member portal. It's so comprehensive. Once you put in, for example, your employer, now it knows exactly what documents to ask for specific to that type of employment and so on. So the next step after you go to the workshop, get into your member portal, get your documents uploaded. You can only schedule an appointment with a counselor once the minimum amount of data entry is completed and the minimum amount of documents are uploaded. So you'll have to complete your document upload. And at the end of that, you can actually schedule an appointment with a, with a NACA counselor. If you have trouble with your document upload or any of the, the software out there, again, contact member services. They're experts at assisting you to get through that. And that number again is 425 
Just in case you, you, you said a statement of minimum documents, and I don't want, I, first, I want everybody to understand, you need to get all your documents sent. Right. Because if you don't, and you have an appointment, it's going to be an ineffective appointment, because you don't have everything there. But I've seen where people are waiting a month, because they don't have all the documentation. And now when they get an appointment, it's two or three months out. So could you or would you mind clarifying what is the minimum that they need to get so they can at least get a baseline of what they may need to do to move forward in the process? Sure, sure. But like I said, we've rebuilt the entire member portal. We used to call it the web file. It's a member portal now. Okay. And it's completely comprehensive. So it's going to be different depending okay. on different individuals' circumstances. Gotcha. Um, it's going to be different depending on how many adult household members there are, how many people you intend to be on the loan, if you're self-employed, if you're a W-2 employee, if you have one bank account, or if you have seven. On that note, I will say this. I do notice a lot of people have multiple open bank accounts, but don't, and just moving money between them but don't have a reason. That's a lot to manage and it will slow down your process. I strongly recommend it. If you, if you can't explain and, and in good, you know, really thoroughly explain why you have an account open, then you should close it for this process. Um, the, the people make it most smoothly through this process have three accounts, a checking account, a savings account, and then you know, some people in their household, they have joint accounts you know, like a joint checking account where they pay the household bills out of. Okay. More than that, you probably don't need, okay? So savings should be input only. If you find yourself pulling money out of savings, something's gone wrong. Mm. Savings is you only put money in until you're going to do something life-changing, down payment on a car, you know, a major vacation, buy a house, right? So input only. We understand money's going to come and go from checking, but you're really going to understand your affordability by your savings growing. If your savings goes down, there's a problem. Something's wrong. Wow, yeah. awesome. Thank you for that Thank clarification. You. And just uh, just taking a, a mid-show mid break here, 833-771-0500 and www.naca.com to get any of the updates and keep those questions coming out there on Facebook. We are Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram prone. So keep the questions coming. We see you and we're going to get to every last question. I promise you, we're going through them quickly. Roshana out there and throwing up some hearts for Roshana. Roshana says, does NACA help with refinancing a current mortgage? Um, you know, right now we do not. Right now we have our home safe program where if you have an unaffordable mortgage, they will work with you to get a modification um, or even work with your current servicer on improving the terms of your current mortgage. And they can point you in a lot of different directions. Right now, NACA is focused on helping people become homeowners as opposed to refinancing uh, a loan they already have. Perfect. Now with that, Angela, connect me if I'm wrong, but like, for instance, if, if people are in different areas and go to the New York event, Homestay will be there if there's somebody that's in jeopardy and you don't have to be a NACA member. So don't hold that information, share with everyone. But if I'm correct, correct me if I'm wrong, Homestay will be there for anybody that can get there that's in jeopardy of losing their home. 
Absolutely. So and Damien, that's why you are my, look, that's why you're my counterpart right there. Because when I'm <laughs> lacking and I forget, Damien, thinking for me, that is right. At this event that's happening in New York City, um, mm -hmm. June 23rd through the 27th, it is not just for the purchase program. Home save. If you are facing foreclosure or have an unaffordable mortgage, you can come there and talk to one of our home save counselors and get get solutions. They can talk to your lender servicer. We still have contractual agreements with many, many, many lenders and services where we can negotiate on your behalf, as well as rental assistance. If you have uh, uh, if face an eviction or unable to pay your rent, come out there. We have our EJAs, which is our Economic Justice NACA advocates that can help you. You with rental assistance as well. So this is a one-stop shop all under one roof. Everything you need and more dealing with the home. If it's dealing with the with your housing, housing needs, NACA has the answer for you. So thank you, Damien, for mentioning. Oh, you're that. welcome. Now, one more piece to that. Um, I don't know if it's changed as well, but the CEO said himself on the radio that if you now are in trying to purchase and need rental assistance, do not let that hinder you and stop you because they will not, he said himself that they would not stop you from going through the process because you needed rental assistance. Is that still correct? That is still correct. He hasn't changed that tune, Eric, unless there's been an update. That's always been true. That's been true for the 20 years I've been, almost 20 years I've been okay. here. Y'all hear that look, now. Look, so don't I want to be clear about it. No matter where you are in your process, no matter where you are in your finances, it's always the right time to get started. Some of our members will qualify when they welcome the doors day one. Some, it, you know, will work. It will take a little bit longer. Little we'll time. work with you as long as it takes. And a lot of people count themselves out. They think their situation it will create it so that they can't qualify now. And you, you'll be surprised. A lot of our members are a lot further along than they think than they, they are. Think. So yep. get the process started. That's right. Look. Rents are crazy high. Housing is just higher than I've ever seen it in my lifetime. Um, this is, you know, some things that happened with, you know, COVID and, and the Fed keeping the rates late, so, low, so low for so long and investors coming and buying all these properties. That's you know, right. all those factors really drove up housing costs. You know, we talk about inflation, we talk about price, price of gas, but housing costs has gone up tremendously. Get help. Right. right. You know, um, and one of the best ways to make sure your housing cost is affordable and, and remains being affordable is buy that house so you can lock in your interest rate and your principal payment. So, you know, as Anginette and I said earlier, tax and insurance will rise over time, um, but it won't be the crazy going from a thousand dollars for that apartment to fifteen hundred overnight like we've right. seen recently. Love that. Thank you. Billy, I'm at you now, Billy. Give Billy some hearts out there in Facebook land. Billy is saying, so when it comes to multifamily properties, does it have to be permitted properties or can the can can they be properties who will be converted? Because some realtors are listing these properties without permits. Interesting. Oh, it's a great question. We get it a lot. It has to be a permit. Not only does it have to be a permitted multifamily, but it has to be zoned to be a multifamily for that number of units. Um, there's different zonings in every municipality. So some, some areas of a city might only be zoned for two units, duplexes. Some can go up to four and, and anything more than four is now a commercial property. Mm -hmm. We don't convert something from a two family to a three family. 
because the reason we don't is because you're not guaranteed the municipality is going to offer the certificate of occupancy on that third unit, turning it into a three family. They may say no. So you'll have spent all that money on the house, all that money in the rehab, and then it never converts to a legal three family, and then you're stuck holding the back. Um, so it already has to be, for example, a legal three family. Now it can be a, a legal three family that needs a ton of work and, and you can borrow the money if it's within your affordability to update that property. When you do that, of course, now you'll get more rent for that property because mm -hmm. it's in much better shape. That's right. Love and that. we're trying to keep you legal. We're trying to keep you legal. But, to correct. It has to already be legal. And then, you know, we can up update that property, help you renovate it, but it, we don't do conversions. Okay. Billy, I hope that answered your question. If not, just circle back and come back to us. We're here for you. Thank you, Billy. And, and sorry, but you know, and, and it's a good point that Billy brings up. It's a crazy market out there right now, yeah. or it has been. Yeah. Guys, it's, it's turning though. So don't let these agents and these sellers be so aggressive with pushing some of these not so great properties for top dollar. It's starting to level off. We're seeing it across the board. You know, it's you know, it's not a great market for buyers right now either. But be patient and don't take a bad deal just because people tell you you have to be desperate and there's nothing out there. That's no longer true. We're turning the corner. That's right. Awesome. Love that. Next question. This is coming from six seven eight. I believe this is Georgia. So Georgia's in the house today. I completely finished my action plan, but I can't go to underwriting until six months from now. Why? There's, there's no good answer for that. If you're finished your action plan, then you should be able to go to underwriting today. Now, if part of your action plan was pay all your obligations on time for six months, that would be the answer because you haven't finished your action plan. There is no good reason that if you've done everything you need to meet NACA's qualification criteria, that you should not get submitted. You know, I, I oversee, you know, I'm one of the things, the underwriting department, and we are at a no more than three-day turn time on getting oh, wow. your file reviewed. Wow. We've been like that pretty much all year. Mm -hmm. um, awesome. We've really worked hard to get everything caught up. A lot of this year, you know, I don't want to brag, but we've been down to one <laughs> with um, the turn time. So we're That's getting really back good. very quickly with the conditions yeah, out yeah, there yeah. to be met. Um, I would have to tell that person, you know, contact member services and contact your counselor and ask that question because there's not a good answer to that. If you've met your action plan, you know, your counselor should prepare your file, get it submitted for you know, mortgage specialist review. So six, seven, eight, call, call back to member services at 425-602-6222 and tell them, Anjanette said, I'm supposed to see the underwriter. I got to get to underwriting. Let them know it's time for my file to get to underwriting. And I heard it on the NACA American Dream Program. So check it out and lock it down. All right. I'll add one more thing to that. And just everything about your workshop and the process Whenever you don't understand, please don't hesitate to ask a question. Don't walk away and not understand what's in your action plan, everything that you have to do, because that's something you're going to be working on. So you need to understand every aspect of what the counselor is saying you need so you can best provide the information, which only helps you. Help us to help you by asking all of those pertinent questions and just saying, hey, I don't understand. Can you explain it to me? Right. I'm glad you said that. I'm sorry to interrupt, but, no, no, but no, no, look, no. members, you can qualify yourself. Go to www.naca.com. Go up to home buyers across the top. Go down to purchase resources. Grab that home buyer workbook. Qualification. It literally walks you through the basic NACA qualification criteria. Now, 
every file is unique and every person is unique. So you don't have to always meet the, the criteria exactly, but if you already meet that criteria, then you qualify. Um, you know, one of my favorite things in that workbook is the member initial assessment. And it's not just an initial assessment, it really teaches you how to qualify for a specific payment and how to get that payment increased, you know, what limiting factors would be, you know, would be present that you couldn't increase it um, and, you know, and how to change those limiting factors. So that workbook, you know, supersedes everything, right? Because anyone can tell you anything verbally and there could be things lost in translation. You know, you hear things a certain way, people say things in a way that, you know, that implied something else to you, but everything's in writing in that workbook. So really use that as your guide for qualification. And, and Eric, you said something else, limiting factors. Do you want to share with the audience exactly what that is? And I think there's another sure. word that you use, compensating factors or something. Two different things, yep. Um, and two different conversations. So limiting factors are things that would limit your, your maximum payment. Um, generally speaking, they're going to be housing ratio and debt to income ratio. Your housing ratio is your principal interest taxes insurance homeowners association payment. So they refer to it as PITI. So it's your monthly qualification payment divided by the gross monthly income for the application. So you might have a household member who is putting money towards the household, which increases your affordability. So your payment shock is there, but if they're not on the loan, then we can't count their income in that formula. So now you still have the payment. So for easy math, that payment is $2,000 a month. If, if the income is $5,000 a month, you do the 2,000 divided by 5,000, that's your housing ratio. Mm-hmm. That cannot exceed 33%. Now we'll, we'll make some exceptions up to 35, but generally speaking, that won't exceed 33%. And we'll make the exception to 35 if you've already been paying the higher payment. Makes sense. So if, you, so if you're already in a market where you're paying more. Now a debt to income ratio is the housing payment. So the PITI, Homeowners Association, plus your monthly obligations. Those are things like your car payment student loans, personal loans, credit cards, uh, child support, alimony, you know, those are monthly obligations. That's different than monthly expenses. Expenses are things like utilities, childcare, you know, they're, they're costs and they're real, but monthly debt are generally things you borrowed and you have to repay in monthly payments. Um, child support is of course not a debt, alimony, but everything else is generally speaking, the things that'll show up on your credit report. Right. Sometimes they don't show your credit report. You have to include those also. So you take all those combined plus your monthly payment divided by the gross income for the applicants. That cannot exceed 40 percent. We'll go up to 43 with exception, meaning you've already been paying a higher amount. Compensating factors are things in the file Mm -hmm. that push us one way or the other to say yes or no. So compensating factors are things like um, you're doing a significant interest rate buy down. You're putting your money where your mouth is, you know, so that'll push us. So if, if we're on the fence about a decision, your payment history, for example, well, you're doing things to push us in the direction to say yes. Um, right. You're right. lowering your housing payment, even though you have a couple of late payments, 
you're lowering, you're going from 2000 to 1800. We'll say, look, they understand the late payments because they couldn't afford 2000 going down. We'll say yes to the 1800, where we might not have said yes to 2000 or more or so and so. So compensating factors, and, and they can go the other way. So it could be you have a history of paying 2000 a month and you're asking for 3000, but you don't really have a strong savings pattern. The ask of the 3000 tells us, you know, you don't really understand your affordability. You might have to pump the brakes a bit before you qualify. Mm -hmm. so, I love I'm the way you explain that, Eric. That thank makes you, Eric. perfectly. Yes, thank you. Uh, I wish we could get that one on every show. I love that. Uh, but that's a great explanation. I know the time is almost running out. We got 15 <laughs> minutes left, but guess what? Uh, I'm going to toggle back and forth from phone calls to, to Facebook, to all our social media platforms that are listening right now. So 617, I'm coming right back to you. Viola, you're next. Alex, Carolyn, Sherrod, and Lisa, I'm going to get to you. So hold tight. Don't leave. I'm going to answer. Get your questions answered. Everybody wants some of Eric's time. One of my phone calls even said, I want him to be a counselor. He didn't be your counselor. You can't have him. He ours. Okay. <laughs> so Viola, Viola say, can someone that only receives an SSI income purchase a home using NACA? Absolutely. And so security income is very stable income. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. And, and, and here's the thing we'll do also. If you have just social security income and you don't have to file taxes or you don't have to pay taxes, then we'll do what's called grossing up your income. We'll add 25% because we're comparing you to people who have to pay income taxes. Okay. Now, keep in mind, what some people do to get a bigger tax return, they only have Social Security or you know, very little income, and they'll file taxes and then have a tax rate that's really low, 8%, 6%, as opposed to most Americans who pay about 20, 22 to 33% of, in, in income tax. Now, be careful if you do that because we can only... If you don't have to file at all, we can gross it up 25%. If you do file, we can only gross it up to the percentage of taxes you pay. So you'll look at your total tax and divide it by your taxable income to see what percentage tax bracket you're in. Makes sense. Alexis is asking a question. Alexis, I love this question. I think I already know the answer. Should I pay off my car note, Eric? Well, um, only if you need to. So generally speaking, I'd say no, because- That's right. You, you know, if-, if if you need to for the limiting factor of debt to income ratio and the affordability is there and you have the money to pay it off, go ahead. Otherwise, um, for a lot of car loans, if you pay it off early, there's no real benefit to it. It's not like a mortgage where you end up reducing what you're gonna pay in interest over the long term. Um, and on the flip side of that, if you need a car, buy it before you qualify. Make sure you can afford the car payment and the house payment mm -hmm. while you have the help of a counselor. Um, yeah, so I would say Alexis only pay off the car if if you have the limiting factor of debt to income ratio, but you have plenty of money to pay off the car and your affordability is abundant. Good advice. 617, 617 is saying, ooh, this is a doozy. Uh, 617 is saying, she just mentioned interest rate buy down. How do I do that? And why didn't my counselor tell me I can do that? I'm sorry if your counselor didn't tell you, I can't answer why some people do what they do, but it's a great thing. So interest rate buy down, every one and a half percent of the loan amount, so every one and a half percent of the loan amount. So if my loan for easy math is $100,000, $1,500 is one and a half percent of that loan amount. For every one and a half percent, I can permanently reduce my interest rate by 0.25%, by a quarter of a percent. 
So <laughs> let's do easy math. Let's say today's interest rate was 4%. Yeah, as opposed mm-hmm. to four and eighth, just to make the math easier. Right. So if I'm buying a $100,000 house, that $1,500 would permanently reduce my interest rate down to 3.75. 3,000 would permanently reduce it to 3.5 and so on. It's one of the best ways to make your payment more affordable. Right. I love that. And oh 617, goodness. that's Boston, I believe. 617 Boston's in the house. Thank you for, giving, for that question because that was helpful to a lot of people. Carolyn, I'm going to get to you, but I saw a question down here from, I believe it was Mo. And Mo, I got to talk to you. Thumbs up. I'll give some hearts out to Mo, but Mo needs some serious. I, I'm, I'm questioning this. His question is, what is the process if you go in with someone to get the house, but passed away? How does that work? I'm not saying it happened. I'm just asking. So, Mo, I hope you ain't trying to kill somebody out there, but go ahead on and ask this question, Eric. What happens if two people are trying to get the house and one of them pass away? Um, then, I mean, the simple answer is then you'll continue the process with just your finances. I would say, you know, take pause um, if you're married, you know, see if there's benefits that you're going to have and can include in your affordability. And you know, I'm sorry if somebody's sick and, and headed that way. Um, but, you know, I... Here's an interesting thing, and I, I know we don't have a lot of time, but I remember counseling myself um, you know, about 15 years ago, a couple, and she had cancer and it was terminal and they knew she was going to pass. And um, I told them, I won't qualify you on both of your income. And she started crying and, you know, and, and I thought I upset her. And she looked at her husband and said, see, why would you want to buy a house that's going to become unaffordable right after I pass away? So when I was trying to help them understand that, you know, there's no point in using her income if you know it's not going to be here in six months. She really appreciated because she's been trying to tell him that for a long time and he needed to hear from somebody other than her. Um, They did end up getting the house um, and he did get a house affordable for him and we got up to rents. So he got just as much house as he he probably would have gotten with both incomes. So she was clever enough to know he had to have a long term plan, not a short term plan. Right. I love that. And I'm sorry. I know I said sorry, but. um... Yeah, my heart's still for a minute. I'm sorry to hear that. But Mo, whatever you thinking about, you better think twice. (laughs) But anyway, I hope that answered your question, Mo. (laughs) Carolyn is asking a question. And Carolyn, I think we already answered this when we were talking about the document and upload and what documents you need. I'm in the process of doing my documents. So how far back do I go and what exactly is required before I even get to a counselor? And Eric, I think you covered that one already. Yeah, but I, I like the way she asked it. It's a really good question. So generally speaking, for assets, for bank statements, you're going to go back at least three months. Mm-hmm. For income and virtually everything else, 60 days. So we only, we only need a month in many cases, but 60 days. Really solidify what you're giving your counselor. Because I think Damien said it earlier. You know, if you barely give enough, then they're just going to ask for more because they can't make sense of it all. You know, by giving the extra month, they'll have a better understanding of your finances and how you're going to meet your goal. Now, he also talked about compensating factors. Say, you know, say you've moved four times in the last two years. In that case, don't just give barely two years worth of residency history. Go back four or five years. That'll give more compensating factors solidify. Same thing if you've changed income a lot. It's not a problem that you've changed things. Just give more history so your counselor has a better understanding of you and your finances and how to help you meet your goals in homeownership. 
Uh, the bottom sense. line, guys, is that they're trying, they need to know everything, disclose everything, because they're trying to package you together to get you through the process. If you're leaving out stuff and stuff crop up, guess what? That just slows down the process. So they're trying to understand everything so they can tell you, do this, not do this, do this. So tell them everything. everything That's exactly right. I'm, so, I'm sorry. So, so when I work with members and, and, and I do every day, right, I, members who get a little apprehensive about that, I always tell them this. Think of me like you think of a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Tell me everything. I need the whole story to defend you. I'm your advocate with the bank. Okay, so tell me everything. Don't worry. I don't need to tell the bank everything. There you go. But they're clever and they have additional tools that I that we don't have. You know, they have research tools that we don't necessarily have. But I have you, the member. If you tell me everything, I know what they're going to have access to, what they're not, and what what they need and what they don't need. If you tell me your whole story, I'll know how to counsel you and fix a problem before it happens and or fix it as quickly as it possibly can be fixed. Because the last thing you want to do is have $10,000 in earnest money and then the bank figure out something that you didn't disclose two weeks before you're supposed to close because you will Makes never close. Sense. And they will get you all the way up until closing. They will mm -hmm. stop the close the day of. Oh, absolutely. They're going to do a final verification of employment within 48 hours before closing to make sure that you didn't just lose your job before they fund. Wow. Stuff right up to stuff like up that. To they ain't point. playing. They ain't yeah. playing. So thank you for that question. Sherrod, Sherrod is asking, if I have a lump sum of cash, would it be better to use it to buy down the interest rate or apply it to the principal for principal reduction? Um, probably a combination of both. Um, so you can only buy the interest rate down to the Homeownership and Equity Protection Act limits. For a lower loan amount, that's going to be around four, four and a half discount points. For a higher loan amount, that's going to be about six discount points, maybe six and a half. So if you have a large amount of cash, do both. Now, when you say cash, I assume you mean you know money in the bank. Um, but just for clarification for anyone else, if it's mattress money that's not in the bank, Anything you want to use in this process, put it in the bank now. Yeah. Because if you put it in the bank right before you're trying to buy a house, you're going to have to document the source of that money. And if you can't, it cannot be used in a loan process. So your counselor, you know, doesn't care where, you, you know, well, if it came from a legal place, doesn't right. care where it came from, right? Put it in the bank now so that by the time you go to your lender, it's already seasoned in the bank. They're not going to see it go in the bank and they won't ask about it. But and that's an interesting segue into Lisa's question. Lisa, thank you for your question. She's saying, should we prepare a letter of explanations just in case it is needed since that option is no longer in the new member portal? I like the way Lisa thinks. Um, that's the way I live my life. I'm, I try to stay one step ahead. I try to anticipate anything anyone's going to need and have it ready before they even ask for it. The way I, you know, the way I like to tell people is, I like to carry a, a flashlight and shine light in all the dark corners and answer your question before you ask it. Because I'll tell you the way underwriter thinks. If no one ever told the underwriter and the underwriter figures it out for themselves, now they went negative. They think you're hiding something. But if you tell them everything up front and shine the light in all those dark corners, they got nowhere to go. They got nowhere to condition you. You've already head off all the conditions. Um, so great thinking, Lisa. You don't have to yeah, prepare them, but I like the way you think. You're going to love the way Cassandra thinks. And Cassandra, I'm throwing some hearts up to you personally. Cassandra mm -hmm. says, I have a credit card that offers rewards on purchases. 
Is it a good idea to use it for purchases like groceries or gas so that I can get the rewards and then pay it off immediately? Does this look bad to the lenders? No, not at all. Um, it's the truth is that's where I live. Yeah. Um, I use one credit card for everything to get the points because that's free money. I don't want to give up free money, but here's free, the key. Free, free. The key is what you said. You have to pay it off pay it before off. it ever earns any interest. And you're going to have to track that credit card the way you do your bank statements. So when you're updating bank statements every month, the, you know, I should see in your bank statements that, you know, you paid that credit card off, say it's a, you know, a Visa card, that you paid $2,700.33 because that's what you put all your spending on that month. I should use your credit card to see what you spent on because we're going to help you figure out what you're spending on so we understand what can be adjusted. There's certain things you can't adjust, right? If, you, if you're buying medicine and it costs X amount and you need that medicine, that's in your budget to stay. But if you're buying cable TV and you're putting that in your credit card, you know, and then paying it off the month, that's something we can talk about. That's optional, you know, and that's an area of your budget we can reduce. Or like I said earlier, eating out or things like that. So it's important your counselor sees what you're spending the money on. So make sure you give them your credit card statements, but absolutely appropriate. Just don't do something crazy like use four credit cards. I know why you would. This one's better for these kind of points. This one's because if you make this system, that's why I said close those bank accounts earlier, the ones that you're not using. You make it so hard for the counselor to keep your file updated, you'll never get through this process. Right. So try to keep everything really concise. That's smart. All right, we're rounding it out. We have four or five more questions and I think we may even- I'll do the speed round. This is speed <laughs> round for real. Rachel says, if you file bankruptcy, does it affect the process? Yes, but minimally. Come in, have your counsel work with you. It won't affect it more than two years, probably not more than a year. Thank you. Lisa is saying, do the funds and savings for purchase interfere with qualifying for rental assistance? No. And it depends on the municipality, you know, the program for the rental assistance, but generally speaking, no. Thank you. Great question. KY is saying, how much reserves do you need for a three-unit home? Um, for a three-family home, you need five months of reserves. So five, five months means five months of the entire principal interest tax insurance payment. So that's not just your portion, that's the whole payment for the entire mortgage. So you buy a million dollar, you know, mm -hmm. a three family home and the payment is $5,000 a month, then you need to have $25,000 in reserves. Reserves are money after you're closed, you still have that money left, liquid. All right, and Paula- Good question with that. Quick question with that. Now, does that have to be twenty five thousand liquid, or could they have something in their four hundred one k and liquid? Okay, thank you. Okay, thanks. And Paula is asking, how are student loans calculated? So, we're going to use student loans whether they're in payment or not. Whatever your whatever your monthly payment for that student loan is, that's what we're going to include in your debt to income ratio. Now. As most of you know, because of COVID, most student loans went into automatic um, non-payment mode. Mm -hmm. So use the income-based payment calculator on studentaid.gov. We'll use the income-based payment. And as we said, our members are low moderate income. So that generally shows the lowest payment. If there's a payment on your credit report, we have to use that payment. Unless you have a payment a statement from the servicer showing us something different. The services, Mohila or Sally Mae or, you know, whoever you make your payments to. Thank you, Eric. And that's it, everybody, with one minute to spare. The old clock on the wall says time for us to go, but we 
pray you enjoyed this, this NACA American Dream show. Eric, as always, it was a pleasure and we never have enough of you. We never can get enough of you, but thank you for your time. All of you out there in Facebook land, know that we, we care about you. We want you to get through this process and keep, keep staying connected with us on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And always check NACA's uh, website for up-to-date information at www.naca.com. Damien, we did it. Thanks for listening. NACA's American Dream Program is a production of the Neighborhood Assistance Corporation of America, a national nonprofit organization fighting for economic justice through affordable homeownership and community advocacy. To learn more about NACA and our advocacy efforts, careers, NACA's Best in America Mortgage, or to join a NACA in your community, visit us at NACA.com.